0: Hey there, welcome to one of our first stories of the podcast. I'm David All, and this is Belly of the Beast Life Stories and Beyond. In season three, we shouldered up with you and made it clear that this podcast is not for sale. No advertising or outside influence, a sacred and safe space. Starting with season three, we dedicate a poem to one of our listeners that is standing with us. As an enabler of our mission. They're doing so by chipping in $5 at bellystory.com. To be true to our word, we're going back through some of our earlier content in Seasons 1 and 2 and removing the segments that we feel may not be congruent with this idea. So enjoy. This story, like every other story on our podcast, is now 100% advertising-free a safe space where you can let your guard down, listen, and notice if something comes up in your soul. If you would like to be an enabler, and we certainly could use your help, visit bellystory.com and chip in $5 today. Now here's that extraordinary life story. The goal of this podcast is to bring to life the nature of transformation through people's personal stories of getting knocked down in life and climbing up a new person. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show so that other heroes can find it too. Let me introduce you to Laura Hernandez.
1: And I think even today, when we have really hard days... That's what gets me through because they can be really, really hard kids and it can feel hard to love them and it can feel hard to just keep going and being their mama. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what we were called to do.
0: Laura and her husband, Tony, are truly special people. Together, they are raising 10 children. And three of those kiddos were adopted and have special needs. Being overwhelmed in her own experience as a mother and not finding any answers in all of the books that she read led Laura to create her own methods and system of managing the chaos and bringing peace to her home. And now she's saving other mamas the pains she went through with her coaching business, Mama Systems, As a coach to mamas in similar situations, she brings more peace to their homes by coaching them through ideas, schedules, incentives, chores, and delegating. Laura Hernandez, welcome to Belly of the Beast Life Stories.
1: Hey, David, thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Laura, I'd love for you to take us back to the time when the doctor walks into the room And finally handed you answers in the form of a diagnosis, but it was also a prescription for a very challenging life ahead.
1: Yeah, we had just had Matthew's scan of his brain um, to kind of rule out seizures or confirm that he was having seizures. And the doctor comes in and says, there's something really important we need to talk about that we saw on the scan. And I'm thinking like brain tumor, you know all of the big things. And he's like, well, we saw that his processing speed was about two years delayed. And I remember kind of not really feeling the weight of that at the moment. And I remember saying to the doctor, like, okay, well, if he's two years delayed, like, what does that mean really? Because when he's 26, is he going to be acting like he's 24? Or what does that mean? And so he kind of laid out our, our new road ahead of us. He explained to me that processing speed being delayed along with the other delays that we already knew Matthew had um, puts him in a category of global delay. And so I had had that terminology, but I don't think I still really understood the, the bigness of that. He continued to explain to me that um, when Matthew is 40 age-wise, he'll probably be leaving his teen years and that kind of put a new perspective on things. I was like, oh, well, he's not going to be able to live on his own. And I think my husband and I kind of joked about that just in a funny way of like he'd not be able to do something and us be like, yeah, he's going to be living with us forever. Um, but at that moment, it was like, oh, really? He might be living with us forever. And so I went home and looked up global delay and looked up intellectual delay and realized that what the doctor was trying to kind of buffer around was that saying that my son was mentally retarded. Um, It's a term that they've tried to take away from everybody's language, which is wonderful. But at the same time, I find that it helps people kind of have a category for what we're talking about. And so I'm kind of on a mission to educate people about ID, which is intellectual delay and letting them know what that is because we're taking out the other word, but we're not really giving them a framework for this new word.
0: So they also mentioned fetal alcohol syndrome.
1: Yes. So we had gotten a diagnosis of fetal alcohol from a different doctor for Andrew at one time. And once I kind of realized that maybe mama has not been telling me the truth all along and that she did drink during pregnancy, um, I started researching about that. And everything, when I looked at the list of all the different symptoms that could happen from fetal alcohol, which is, I mean, it Any and every part of your body could be affected by it. So it's just a litany of things, but everything on the list, I could attribute to one of the three kiddos. And so that was just, it was eye opening and frustrating that I didn't have that at the very beginning because I just assumed that why would mom lie to me? But then on the other side, I'm like, why would she tell me the truth? Like she, why would she reveal that about herself? So yeah, that has affected a lot of areas of their life.
0: In a story that you sent me, you open it by saying, I have always wanted to adopt, always. Mm. And on November 11th, 2014, that became a reality when these three children joined your family. What was that day like?
1: It was overwhelming in so many ways. It was overwhelming just in, we had three little special buddies come into our home and they were and it was Andrew's fourth birthday, and then Matthew was two and a half, and Hannah was eighteen months and Then we also had a six month old and a two and a half year old so we had a lot of little people it was five kids four and under in diapers and so it was it was just a lot there was a lot of chaos, a lot of noise, a lot of everything and clearly, at the time, we didn't know that they had special needs and so Um, The difficultness of it, we just kind of chalked up to they're in a new place. They have to get used to us. They need to feel safe. And we kind of kept waiting for that to click in. We've been told many times that at the two-year mark, the kids are going to start to feel safe and at home and they're going to feel protected and cared for. And then they're going to start catching up developmentally. And that just never really happened for our guys.
0: You've known Andrew, Matthew, and Hannah for their entire lives.
1: I have. We had Andrew placed with us when he was four days old and he came straight from the hospital to our house and we adored him, loved him like he was our own and connected with him. And then the tragedy of losing him at eight months, he went back to mama. And I think that as foster parents, like that's what we're supposed to be about, right? Is reuniting the family and keeping the family together and just caring for the kids while the mama can't do so. But I guess from my point of view, we had attached to this child and loved him dearly. And it did not feel to me that where he was going was safe and he was being cared for. And that made it really hard. I mean, that just made it incredibly hard because it wasn't like he was going back to somebody who had gotten their life back together. Um, She had just checked all the boxes that CPS said that she needed to check. So that was really difficult.
0: The time that you knew Andrew, Matthew, and Johanna to being reunited with you, how much time was sort of in between there?
1: Um, there There's probably about three years in between there. So we had kept up with mom and built a relationship with mom. And we would send her diapers and gifts and for the kids' birthdays and stuff. And we would check in with them a lot. And so we knew that she had had two more kids and we met them when we would go visit and... So we knew about these kids, but clearly our attachment was with Andrew at the time. And so we were really fighting for Andrew. And we knew that we wanted to also fight for these other kids that were also being neglected, but our hearts were were rooting for Andrew.
0: And on that day when they finally were placed with your family, you went from five children of your own to eight children. What was that like? I
1: feel like there were probably million different emotions going on. Um, That of like stress and overwhelm of just the increase of chaos and noise, but then also like relief that we finally like had been such a journey to get there and they were finally with us. And that was a huge relief. Uh, Also peace. I would go in at night and sit in there with them while they were going to sleep. And all three of them were in cribs. And I just remember thinking like, this was a crazy day. We made it to the end and they're safe. I would just lay at bed at night wondering if they were safe, if they're being taken care of, if they had eaten that day. And now I knew that they were safe and that they had been fed and they had full bellies and they were loved on and nothing was going to happen in that room. Like that was in my power. Nothing was going to happen to them. They were going to be safe in there.
0: So in that state of overwhelm, Can you give us like what a typical day was like for you?
1: Well, um, it was just kind of going through the motions of things. So we would wake up in the morning and get everybody dressed and feed everybody. And I would get my, my older kids doing school. And then our little buddies, I would go on walks with them. And they had therapy appointments several times a day. So we had therapists coming in and out of our house all day long. And then maybe we'd go for a walk to the park. So a lot of playing outside and a lot of reading books and snuggling on the couch. And um, I remember I would try to get a break <laughs> by turning on a show for them and they wouldn't sit down. And I didn't really have a category for that because my kids, anytime a show's on, were like staring at the TV and not moving. But these guys just, they did not hold still. They've gotten better now, but they just could not sit down for a hot second
0: you talk about the fact that you used to give yourself daily pep talks to quote unquote, take it one day at a time. Can you uh-huh. <laughs> give us one of those?
1: Yeah. I, I remember so clearly just staying there and being like, okay, Laura, you can do this. I know people have done this before. Like there have been other people, other families out there that have adopted sibling groups of three that have like added three children to their life all of a sudden. And they seem to be doing okay. They're all alive. Like they seem to be getting to a new normal and, I remember calling one of my friends who had adopted three kiddos, and I didn't really know what I was asking, but I think what I was asking was like, or is this one day going to feel normal? Because it just felt so out of place. It felt like I was babysitting somebody else's kids, and they were just a lot, and kind of wanted to just tap out and say like, I need a break. Give me a break. Um, But I know with my kids, like my biological kids that I had before, that I never felt that way. And so I was. my hope was that one day we would get to a place where They felt like my kids and it felt like our family together and not these three random strangers that were in our house.
0: And on that point, how did you tend to your own personal needs in this time? That is a
1: great question. I don't know if I did a stellar job of that. I would go out for girls' nights sometimes and we would kind of, my husband and I would have our time together in the evening after they went to bed. And I also started seeing a counselor who specializes in adoption And so she kind of helped me walk through a lot of those emotions. And so that was, I think that was a big part of self-care as to why I am where I am now and not still in that overwhelmed state.
0: So when they joined your family, what are some ways besides TV time, what are some other ways that it changed the overall dynamic of your family and even your relationship with your husband and your own children?
1: I think that I had to become more of a student of my, my bio kids to kind of learn more about how they were feeling because clearly they couldn't as a two-year-old, as a four-year-old, they couldn't put words around what they were feeling and the chaos that just happened in their life. Right. Cause it was a big trauma for them as well moving across the country and all of a sudden having three more siblings um, that were very needy. And so I had to really study them and figure out what they needed Whether that's like, hey, we need to go sit down and snuggle for a little bit and read a book, or we need to play a game together, or I just need to go take you out for an ice cream date. like Whatever that is, I needed to know what their love language was so that I could fill them up and so that they could feel safe and secure as well.
0: You mentioned that there was another person there to help you, but that it actually added more stress to the situation.
1: Yeah. So for our agency, while they were because when they were placed with us on November 11th, they were placed as foster kids. And then we had to have them in our home for a certain amount of time before we could move towards adoption. And so our agency said, the only way that we can do this is if you get a full-time worker who's willing to also become a foster parent uh, so that they can be on-site at all times. So that way the ratios work out. We had found a girl that was willing to go through the whole process. The foster care process is not easy and you don't get paid for it. And Like, it's just, it's not fun if you're not doing it because you really are passionate about it and wanting to do it, right? And so we found a girl that was willing to do it and she seemed great. And so we hired her on and it ended up being such a stressful thing because my husband was working in our bedroom and the closet in her bedroom. And uh, she would come over and she would just sit there. And like, I had to think of things for her to do. It was very, I had to micromanage her and, Kind of get her move in. She had a lot of health issues. And so, I mean, looking back, I'm like, clearly this was just not the job for her. But it was very stressful on my end because I'm thinking, you're supposed to be here helping me and you're not helping at all. Instead, I'm like having to deal with this relationship now and the stresses of this relationship between her and me. And it was very stressful. And so, we ended up sitting down with her, and there were a few days where she didn't come in, like, she just didn't come to work. And I don't think she understood the gravity of her being there and how much we were depending on her coming and showing up. So that way our ratios would be correct. So that way nobody would come and take away the kids. There was still this, because things weren't final, it was still very, we always say in the foster care world that nothing is final until it's final. Like until the judge is, the ink has dried from his pen, signing off the orders that they're your children, nothing is final. And so I knew that even though we had made this huge sacrifice and come down, And gotten them at our homes and were planning on adopting them that her not showing up one day and a CPS worker showing up and the babysitter not being there, that they could just take them away from us. And so it was just really hard and stressful.
0: And your husband, Tony, he was working at this time?
1: He was. The first six weeks, he was not. He had gotten paternity leave from his work. And so those first six weeks were great because he was just available and helping and we were just kind of getting to know each other as a family. But then after that, clearly somebody had to somebody had to work, right? So he got a job and he was working remotely with Microsoft. And he would just go back into our closet and work back there.
0: Laura, clearly faith is important to you and your family and has helped really seal the bonds of you wanting to be an adoptive family and pulling this family together. Can you tell us the role that faith played in your personal life during this period of feeling overwhelmed?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. There were so many points along the way that it was so clear to me that this is what we were supposed to be doing, that there were moments that were orchestrated that I could not have planned. From our visit on, to church on Palm Sunday and the pastor giving the most random sermon about Jesus weeping over the city and he was talking about we- Jesus weeping for the orphan and me kind of saying, okay, God, this is my last time. It's my last time to call and check on them after this, I'm done. Cause it's just too hard for me to be so invested and have no control this <laughs> whatsoever. And the next day, the CPS worker called me back going to dinner at night and talking to our kids about, Hey, we may be moving down to Texas to adopt these guys and, you know, kind of laying it out for them. And a kid, and the table over eavesdropping and comes to us and says, hey, I just want you to know that I was adopted out of foster care. And I think what you guys are doing is really amazing. Thank you so much. It's um, so just a ton of little moments like that. The DAs and the attorneys for the kids case down in Beaumont is also where my brothers are attorneys. And so my brothers were connected to all of these people they were dealing with just over and over and over again. You would see the goodness of God. Like our house didn't even have to go on the market. Somebody just bought it from us. We were able to get down here and move and find a house all within a month. So over and over again, I was just reminded that he's paving this way for us. And I think even today, when we have really hard days, that's what gets me through. Because they can be really, really hard kids. And it can feel hard to love them. And it can feel hard to just keep going and being their mama. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what we we're called to do. And this is an obedience thing for us. Um, I feel like it's a lot like a marriage in that you make this commitment to this person. in good, bad, ugly. There's days where you may not like them and you may not feel like you love them and all of these things. But you stick with it because you've made this commitment, right? And I feel that the same with these little guys where... I a million percent get why <laughs> some adoptive parents like give kids back because it is so hard. It is so hard. The way that our the way that we we're designed with our biological kids and the connections there that just come automatically. All of those things are so amazing. And you can kind of see God's design in that. And having an adopted kid out, you kind of get why. I don't know, with our biological kids, it just comes so easy. And with our adopted kiddos, we just have to work hard at at being good parents to them.
0: You talk about safety, Mm -hmm. security, feeling attached. Do you feel like your adopted kids feel that from you?
1: I think they do. It's really hard with them uh, because intellectually they're so delayed. And so it's hard to have deep conversations about things like that, right? So I know that they, they do not come across as fearful in the slightest. And I would say that they're definitely attached. I don't think that it, it took a while to get there. Those first couple years, I remember Hannah would just call any anybody who came in, she would call a mama. Just she had no concept of what a mama is. And so I think now, like a, Andrew on a daily basis will always say, I love you so much. I will always love you it'll never change and then he'll say something like you're always going to come back for me you always come back and I'm like yes you always come back so i think that they have that knowledge and they have they've heard it so many times that we love them and they're safe here and they're never going anywhere else and they're always going to be with us and even if i leave i'm coming back and so they know those things but it just our our relationship doesn't look the same in my mind as it does with our biological kiddos And I'm not sure how much of that is the intellectual delay and how much of that is attachment. It's really hard to kind of break those things up because they're so enmeshed together, you know?
0: Yeah. And Laura, I'd love for you to take us back to that diagnosis, which you said before was sort of a a grief realization moment for you and your husband realizing that your children would Probably be dependent on you for the rest of their lives, but at the same time, you finally had some answers about why things were so different.
1: Yeah, David, there was definitely relief there because there had been so many times I'd gone to professionals and tried to figure out what was going on with them and what issues were really happening. We had different therapists say things like, "Well, he shows a lot of signs of autism, but he's not autistic." I don't, I don't get it. I don't. I don't know. I've never been stumped like this before. And you're like, great, thanks. I'm glad we could stump you. So it was just really frustrating. We went to a lot of specialists, a lot of therapists over and over again, and we never really had answers. We were seeing some really severe behavior from Andrew sneaking out in the middle of the night and walking a mile down the road or trying to climb over a pool fence or getting the keys to the car and starting them or using a very sharp knife to cut open a watermelon in his bed. Different things like this that were really not okay, but we had no idea what to do. And so having some answers and finally finding a doctor who, what seemed like to us, great knowledge, just come in and very matter-of-factly say, well, of course, this is what's going on. It was, yes, so relieving. And then at the same time, it was very, it was just the beginning of a grief cycle, which I, I used to say that I had not already started that before that, but of just with, the, cause we were seeing all the same behaviors. We just didn't have an answer for it. Right. So now we're seeing all those behaviors and we know what the answer is. And I think that that brought a lot of grace to our parenting with them. It lowered our expectations a lot and we still expect great things of them, but at the same time, we we're able to parent with a lot more grace of knowing, you know what, he's just not capable of doing that. And we need to be okay with that. I think that's, it was a very mixed bag of things. And I think that the grief just comes in stages as well of grieving what I wanted our family to look like and just the typical development of a kid and you thinking about them leaving at age 18 and going off to college and getting a job and all of those things. I'm like, okay, well, we could we could train them to be hard workers and find a job maybe and Maybe we could build a house for them on our property and they could kind of live close by so we can keep the tabs on them. So it just, it's completely changed our perspective and our shift, our, our dreams for our family and what it's going to look like going forward.
0: Something I've definitely heard from other parents, and I'd love for you to shed some light on this for us a little bit more, but just the knowledge of having a diagnosis like, what was that like and how did that empower you to begin shifting your life so that you could really climb back up?
1: Yeah. So at the time we had just got received that diagnosis for Matthew and Andrew was also in ABA therapy um, at the time. And so his one of his therapists kind of came to us and said, do you know that you could get respite for him? Like, I think you could have respite. And I kind of knew what that was because of foster care. So somebody would take the kids for a weekend because you can't just have any babysitter. It has to be somebody who's certified to watch the kids. And so I had the idea of respite in my head, but I didn't understand (laughs) what she was saying. I remember asking her to repeat it several times because I felt like it was just too good to be true. Like, who is going to come watch our kids for free for us? Like, the government's going to pay for that? What? And so she repeated it over and over again. And I was like, I can't really, it was more of a, I don't believe you because it sounds too good to be true. It sounds like you're telling me I want a full ride to Disney or something and I get to go spend the day at Disney World and I don't have to pay anything. Um, and I remember thinking like, this is the best news I've ever heard because we were still paying for a babysitter for like 40 hours a week. And we're not per se wealthy people. And we have all these children. And so that's not an expense that I'm like looking forward to paying. Right. But then hearing that there's assistance and there's programs that help out special needs families was so life-giving. And so we went and we took Andrew for evaluations there and they diagnosed him with IDD and which is the intellectual and developmental delay, which is what Matthew has. And then also fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, He gave us those official diagnoses with the state. And from there, we got to get into all these programs where we have somebody coming and helping us on a weekly basis. And as he was telling me about all of this, I was thinking, oh my goodness, well, maybe Matthew and Hannah could qualify too. And so we brought them in as well, and we got them all signed up for services. And there's so many things that the wait list for these services is like 15 years. It's something crazy like that. I think one of the wait lists we're on for class is a 16-year wait, And so you have to get on when they're really young if you want to have that service whenever they are adults. And so being able to have those things in place and feeling like we're getting help and we're getting assistance, and I feel validated, I felt validated because at times I'd feel like maybe I'm just not doing it right. Like maybe if they're supposed to be catching up at the two-year mark and our kids aren't catching up, like what am I doing wrong? And so it was just felt very validating that the state, kind of said, you know what? This is hard. It's really hard. And In fact, we're going to pay for childcare for you. Made it be like, oh, okay. So I'm not crazy. Like, guess wrong with me. They really are hard children.
0: And when did things start to get to a state of normalcy in your family? You talked about the fact that you were able to craft systems that were working and helping mm-hmm. your family get along and everything was starting to Operate more smoothly. I mean, help us understand that side of things. Yeah.
1: So I had read a whole bunch of books on all different subjects about adoption and um, homeschooling. We were still homeschooling our biological children, and our little buddies were going to the early childhood school nearby. And so we were dealing with bus schedules and therapist schedules, and then homeschooling. And no book I read could fit all of our things in a nutshell, which was really frustrating at the time. Because I'd read a book, and I'd be like, I really like this, but you're acting like we're at home all day and don't have people coming in and out every five minutes. So it was just very tricky to find something that fit for our family. So I finally just kind of stopped reading everything, stopped listening to everything. And I was like, you know, I just need to prioritize what's important to us and schedule our lives so that it works for us. And so from that, I not only came up with systems for our house and our family to run smoothly and For things to get done and it not be all on me where I'm running myself ragged. But I've also been able to help other mamas with that as well.
0: To that point, can you tell us about mamasystems.net? And with this, you say, I knew I was back on top when I was able to start my own company.
1: Yes. Um, So just shifting from feeling that chaos and overwhelm and then getting to a place where it's like, okay, we can do this. We can thrive as a family. We've got this and feeling confident in that and feeling confident as a mama to all these people and then shifting into not only that but i think that i could help other people i feel like that's that's the moment where you're like okay i've arrived like we're good now um, when you just feel like you've conquered something so big and monumental that now you can go help other people you know i started mama systems i had worked with a with one of my friends who they had just received a diagnosis of um dyslexia and she was talking about taking her kids to tutoring every day and she was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. He also has vision therapy and all these other things. And so I got to sit down with her and kind of help her craft a schedule and systems for their family to work well with that. And it was so fun for me. I just really enjoyed helping her in that way. And it felt kind of like a puzzle or something that we're trying to figure out, like who's going to help with what and how are we going to get it all done and um, be efficient with our time. And so after I did that, I was like, I really... Enjoy that. So the idea just started coming to me about like, hey, you could coach other moms. And at first, I thought it was a little crazy because I have ten children. Why should I start a business, right? But I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna try, and we'll try it out with some friends. See if I really do like it before I like dive into a business. And I absolutely loved it. I loved helping them. I loved hearing back from them how great the systems were and how their kids are asking to help now, and just so many different things that I would hear that their lives are so much smoother, that these things actually work for them as well. I started Mama Systems about a year and a half ago, and I've been able to help over 100 families with systems in their home. And it's just been so life-giving to me to be able to help them and to hear the life that comes back from them and the peace that they feel in their homes because of these
0: systems. So families of all types have to go through these difficult challenges, and you've got this superpower. Are you able to work with all types of families?
1: I have been able to work with all types of families. I think that I normally typically just work with a mama, um, but so much of what I work with her on involves the whole family. So her and her husband have to be on the same team. If her husband, I've worked with several military families, so husband's being deployed or a single mama who's also working. And so just helping her kind of craft those things. I think a lot of what I do is, meeting them on a more emotional level. And so I hands down feel more comfortable with just working with women. Um, but I also know that they have men on the other side of them that are helping bring these systems to place as well.
0: So now you're on the other side of this overwhelming moment. In fact, so much so that you're able to reach out and help all sorts of people get through their challenging times in their life. What is your typical day like? with your children, with your family life, with your husband, and also juggling other people's overwhelm as well.
1: Yeah. So we have things run pretty smoothly around here. We wake up, you know, normal times. We don't wake up super early or anything crazy like that. We probably wake up around 730 and eat breakfast and the kids all do their morning jobs. Everybody has responsibilities that they're supposed to take care of in the morning. And then we all meet together on in our living room. We call it red couches because we have two red couches in there. Um, So we meet on the red couches and we have couch time. And with that, we'll do our daily devotional and do our memory work together. And then after that, we kind of talk about our day and what's going to happen in our day. And the kids go off and do school. And right now during the COVID situation, that looks like our three little buddies who typically go to school, have their Chromebooks from school and they're I have gotten permission from their special ed teacher that they can just do Starfall for right now because <laughs> it's just um, we're getting the the regular ed the gen ed classes curriculum, but it has to be modified for our little buddies. And I think that's just where that's the part where I'm like, I can't do that. I don't know what to do. So they're just doing Starfall for right now, and then we close all all tablets, all computers at noon, and we do lunch together, and then we have quiet time, and that's kind of a time that I get to do some work and I can knock out whatever I want, but it's kind of off limits. Everybody has things that they can do in their rooms, and I get space because that is so necessary for my day and for me just to have a minute and have a breather. And so it's kind of a non-negotiable for us. And then after that, we'll go play outside. If it's warmer, we'll go swim. And if it's colder, we'll go play baseball or ride bikes or something. And then five o'clock, we have an alarm that goes off that Tells us it's five o'clock and we need to do our five o'clock jobs. And so everybody has a job that they go and they go, they go do it and I'll start prepping dinner and then we have dinner together. And after that, we'll take baths, maybe watch a movie or have some activity and then go to bed.
0: When you're coaching other mothers and they're saying that they're constantly overwhelmed, do you tell them about taking some time to themselves or taking a breather yeah. as you say or or even your trick about the pep talks
1: yeah i will often encourage mamas to we've got to get self-care in there like that's just a must because if we're not taking care of ourselves, we have nothing to give our people right we end up being short and snappy and frustrated with them but really it's just a state of us right so we kind of get to set the tone for our house and So I always make sure that we have scheduled into our week somewhere, a time where they can get away. And then I also have them think about what they can do on a daily basis to take a minute to themselves, whether that's in the morning or the evening time, but just to be still and take a breather.
0: Laura, I want to go back to the quote from the story that you gave me, where you say, I have always wanted to adopt, always. And then you talk about you and your husband saying, we loved the idea of making a difference in a child's life. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever regretted making the decision to adopt?
1: That's actually something that people ask me often, because this is just a lot different than how we how we thought it would look and how we kind of had thought our family plan would go. Even taking on all three of them, we thought that our lives would look completely different. And so people often ask me if we regret it. But I think David, I just go back to the times where it was so clearly orchestrated that we were supposed to be moving forward in the adoption process. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these kids would not be in our home if God didn't want them to be here. Like There were so many roadblocks that were just moved out of the way for us. And so if this is not what we're supposed to be doing, that would have been very clear to us. And so I, I continually go back to it's an obedience thing. It's a commitment thing. It's not about how I'm feeling or whether I'm enjoying parenting them or not, like that has nothing to do with it. It's all about my obedience to the Lord and my commitment I made to him and to these children um so I just I stand in that whenever we have really hard days. yeah,
0: there's a visual I have in my head that you describe very well and and I'd love for you just to bring it to life for our listeners and It was a few weeks before. <laughs> the kids were placed with you and you were back in Texas from from Seattle and you were in Texas where the kids were and you were reunited um, for a short time and you decided to take the kids to the beach with your husband. Can you pick it up there and just describe that whole day for us?
1: It was the first time as a mother that I had felt completely inadequate. I had no idea what I was doing. It felt very much like that. I, I remember driving around with them. We were in a different city, so it wasn't a city that I knew at all. And we had gone to this foster care luncheon with the current foster parents and they let us take the kids for the afternoon and we were so excited about it. So we loaded them up in their the little car seats and then it was like, great, what are we going to do? I have no idea what to do with these people. And so we drove through Sonic and that was like all we had to do. I didn't, We didn't know any parks. We didn't have a home to go back to to like go play with them. And so... We decided to go to the beach. And I I just remember thinking, what were we thinking? Why did we come to the beach? We have no idea what we're doing. It just felt very much like I am so out of my league here. These kids like just got out of the car and just ran. And I was like, oh, crap. Like We're going to lose them. I don't know what's going to happen. They're going to run off in the ocean and die. And so we were just running around chasing these three children that we barely knew. And it just felt very overwhelming. I don't know what I was expecting it to feel like, but it was definitely not what I was expecting.
0: Was that foreshadowing at all? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've never thought about it that way, but probably yes, it is.
0: Laura, are you and your husband different from other people because you've been willing to build a family in this way?
1: I wouldn't say that we're different, like isn't a we're better than other families by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I would say that we're different and that we have been changed by this experience. There's been a whole lot of refining going on in this house daily of just realizing how much I can't do it on my own. It's been very humbling. And also very, it's created this vulnerable experience where I'm able to now freely say that and not have fear of you judging me for not being a good mom or other people looking at us like we're crazy. Like it's taken a lot of work With myself in particular, it's taken a lot of work with me and just getting to that place of accepting what is right now and being content with that. And I think through that process, I have become more vulnerable in how I help other mamas and it's given me grace for them and given me compassion for them. And so I think beforehand, when I had five kids, I mean, I was rocking it. Like five was a piece of cake and I was probably very prideful about that so if I would have had help mamas then if they would have told me something like I this is overwhelming to me I would have been like clearly I would not have said this out loud but I think in my head I'd be like well suck it up like you gotta do it it's gotta get done or something I don't know but I don't think that I would have been very compassionate or understanding of the situation but now having these really hard kids and feeling that overwhelm and feeling the I just want to cry if we can just get to the end of the day that would be amazing like having that state of we just got to survive. We just got to get to the end of the day it has really given me a lot of grace and compassion for mamas and like to be able to understand that overwhelm and meet them in that space and give them helpful tools to get out of that has just been a beautiful gift.
0: Laura, take us back to that moment, that day at the beach and you're sitting on the beach and you finally have all the kids sort of settle down for at least a minute. What, what are you feeling in that moment?
1: I think a lot of excitement, and I think a little bit of fear of just not knowing what, like that feeling of, I have no idea what we're doing right now. It feels so foreign to me to, like, I'm going to be their mama, but they don't know me as that. And they don't know this whole story and they don't know who we are. And a million emotions going on. So I think a lot of fear and confusion about, like, hey, what's my role here? Do I have them call me mom? Do I, like, what do we do? But then also getting to that space where they were letting us see the kids and, letting us take them for an afternoon meant that we were getting closer to having them and then being placed with us. And so I think a lot of excitement and hope was there too.
0: Laura, this is a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing this with us, for sharing your hopes and dreams for your family with us, for sharing your challenges, for sharing just so much that you've learned and that you're now gifting to other mothers who are going through the same challenges or probably even more challenges than you faced. I'm sure you're even coming across that every now and then. But you stand yeah. very strong today and you know, you didn't hand me a list of awards or anything before this interview. You didn't want me to point out to any news articles where people profiled how how great you are or anything like that. And I think that it's just that servant leadership in your own family and, you know, with your faith that really comes through in this interview. So I I appreciate you bearing this story to us. Thank you.
1: You're so welcome, David. Thank you for having me.
0: What an extraordinary life story. If this story moved you, help enable our mission, and keep this advertising-free podcast going by chipping in $5 at bellystory.com. I'm responsible and accountable for this podcast, but I don't do it alone. Milos Brochetta is our sound engineer, Artie Wu is our advisor, and many others have helped along the way to bring the story to life. Thank you for listening. I'm David All, and this is Belly of the Beast Life Stories and Beyond. Thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or two. Stay tuned. I'm working on some stories that you need to hear.